I don't know about you, but over the last two years, and it's been two years since the COVID era began, I have had a new kind of feeling or anxiety that has gripped me in a way that I haven't experienced it before. I've thought a lot about what this period of time means for my family, for my children, for my business, and for myself. And as we've gone through this two-year period, it's not only been the virus, it's been the economy, it's been a sense of disruption in our politics, both nationally and internationally. And it's easy sometimes to just be gripped by this sense of worry. And as we've looked at Jesus as the Prince of Peace over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the fact that he serves as our model. We talked about the fact that when chaos arises, he steps into the storm. But over the next couple of weeks, I want to look at some very practical ways that Jesus brings us peace in specific situations where we might feel anxiety. And certainly this just overall sense of worry is the first one that I want to take a look at. And fortunately, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gives us some very specific guidance for how to think about dealing with worry in our lives. And as we look at how he does it, there are three specific things I want to look at. One, he gives us some tangible examples of causes of worry. The second thing he does is convicts us of worry and the notion that it really doesn't show our sense of the sovereignty of God when we find ourselves crippled by anxiety. And then finally, he gives us very practical ways to think about a cure if we'll seek him. So let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you that you are in control of all things. And so when we worry, when we have anxiety, we can come to you with our concerns. We can come to you with those things that keep us up. And Father, I just pray that as we look at your very practical example for how to deal with anxiety, that we would be open to being vulnerable, to being honest about the things that cause us anxiety, but that we would also be very focused on looking at you as a cure for that. So we just thank you, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for this time together. In Christ's name, amen. So Jesus has been out um, giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's done the Beatitudes. He's talked about, again, some very practical ways that the people should live. And right before we get to the passage that we're going to look at, what I love is that he kind of gives this notion about a few things around how we should practice our faith. You know, he says, keep your prayers simple. He says, fast in secret. He says, as you think about your treasure, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. And then after he's given a chance for people to hear these ways that they can live a different kind of life as they live out their purpose in his kingdom, he gets to this series of verses that talk specifically about anxiety and worry. So let's go to Matthew 6. We're going to start at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So as we look at the causes of worry in our life, the first thing that Jesus talks about in verse 25 is this notion of resources. Um, if you're like me and you're like most men in America thinking about how we take care of our families and ourselves, this notion of making sure that we secure enough resources to take care of ourselves and our family um, is something that keeps us up. Um, and what's interesting is, is we've seen the standard of living improve every single decade in America. 
this constant quest for resources, this constant quest for more has become something that creates this hamster wheel, if you will, about being able to crank resources out. And so if you're like me, I spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out how am I going to make enough money to take care of not only my immediate needs, but all of the wants of the people around me. And so sometimes when I start thinking about the things that are on the horizon, the things that I'm looking out towards, realizing that there might be a gap between what I'm able to do today and what I want to do tomorrow can create this sense of anxiety. But what I love about this is Jesus says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. And he gives us this sense that he's going to take care of our needs. And so I just want to ask you, are you living your life in a way that you're focused on your needs and you're focused on the things that allow you to be able to serve him and to be able to live in a way where you have your needs taken care of? Or do you find yourself on this hamster wheel just trying to get to that next standard, that next step that we expect? One of the things that I bet if we polled each other, we would see is that this notion of resources, this notion of being able to have enough money, be able to have enough um, space, be able to have more, 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 can be, odd, can be that source of anxiety that really gets in the way. So Jesus tells us, don't get focused on resources as a cause of anxiety. Here's another one that I grapple with, retirement. Think about how practical this is. Verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So I'm about 50, and um, it's really interesting to me that I'm starting to watch as I get my financial statements back, this notion that I'm being reminded often that it's only about 10 years or 15 years to retirement. And you've got a whole lot more that you've got to save if you want to be able, again, to keep that standard of living that you have today. And in a volatile environment like we're in today, when the economy goes up and goes down, I do think that we as men struggle with this notion of being worried about how we're storing up, just like he talks about the birds of the air not having to store up. But we're constantly thinking about, do we have enough? Will we have enough to, again, take care of me, to take care of my family once we get to that stage? And as we live in this environment that seems more volatile than ever, I think it's easy to spiral down into a place where we are so focused on the storing up that we don't think about this notion of how do we translate that anxiety into a desire to be able to actually think about how we spread out. How do we take the resources that we've been given and just be as intentional there about the way that we can either share it with others, that we can give more generously, that we can spread it in a way that honors God, rather than figuring out how do we do everything we can to scrap and save and figure out ways to store up. When we have that mindset, and we couple that with the volatility that we see in the world today, it's really easy to sink into, again, this pit of despair and anxiety about our ability to secure the right kind of resources for our retirement. So I know both of these things that we've just talked about are very focused on money, but um, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you that these are two of the things that I find myself worried about all the time, right? Do I have enough now, and am I going to have enough for tomorrow? And I've got to find a way to make sure that I realize that Jesus is saying to us, I'm going to take care of you. 
right? I'm going to be somebody who is going to give you the resources that you need. You might not get everything you want, but you're going to have the resources that you need. And then John, just rest in me. Know that retirement will come and you're going to have resources. The birds don't think about storing up. We've got to obviously be smart in the way we do it. But we can't let ourselves be obsessed with this sense of being able to just protect, protect, protect so that we can in the future have something that's going to be there because we're not even guaranteed a future. As the, as the verse 27 says, we don't even know if tomorrow is going to come. So I just want to ask you, has money, has resources, has retirement driven a sense of anxiety in your life that has gotten in the way of your ability to live the kind of free life that Christ would have for you? So we can think about this column of anxiety relative to those things that are associated with money. But as I've kind of done an inventory over the last couple of weeks about what causes me anxiety, there's actually something that drives my anxiety even more deeply. So let's look at verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So throughout my life, as I've read that verse, I have often just associated it again with more resources, right? He's going to take care of our food. He's going to take care of our drink. He's going to take care of what we would need to store up and we don't need to store up. He's going to take care of our clothes. But as I've spent some time in this, again, over the last couple of weeks, what I've started to think about is when we think about clothing ourselves, I want to ask you, are you anxious about reputation? Are you anxious about how you look? And as I look at these verses, what I'm starting to see is that God is saying to us, are we more obsessed with how we appear to others than how we appear to him? And when we're so obsessed again with how we're looking or how we're appearing, whether it be to our clients, whether it be to our coworkers, whether it be to people in our community, we really show a lack of trust in God to be able to accept us as we are. So when I think about those things that are causing me anxiety, it's often, you know, are we going to get this work that we are focused on right now to a point of perfection? Are we going to take this project in a direction that allows a client to really look at us and say, you are a leader in this field? Do I spend my time trying to choose what I get involved in in the community, what I choose to spend my time on in a way that says, how is it going to make me appear to others rather than what uses my gifts and allows me to be used for God? And I got to tell you, the answer to all three of those things recently has been yes. Um, it's been something where I've realized that so much of my anxiety is wrapped up in how others are going to perceive me when I'm done doing something. It's this sense of reputation. And when we think about that, we spend that time obsessing over others in a way that doesn't allow us to be able to really ask ourselves, am I operating in a way, am I living my life out in a way that really aligns with what God would have me to do? You know, we've talked a lot in this study about letting God set the direction, letting him take control as a way that we get our peace. But this sense of using reputation as a sense of anxiety, I think is a really good test 
for how well we are listening to him and how well we're aligning ourselves up with the things that he would have us to do. So I just want to ask you, are you obsessed with your reputation? Are you so worried about what somebody else is thinking about you, how you're clothed, that other people um, are actually the ones who are driving your self-worth and your self-confidence? Because I think what we would learn from Jesus's words here is if the flowers of the field can be clothed by him, and they're clothed in a way that's even greater than Solomon, who we know was the most wise, the, the most um, rich, the most uh, prosperous of all of the kings, right? He had the greatest reputation. People from all over came to talk to him. Yet Jesus was able to point us to the fact that the flowers of the field are clothed more grandly than Solomon was. If that's the case, can we not trust God to give us our reputation in front of him as a mark of honor? And that the way that he views us is so much more important than those external lenses that people are using to evaluate us. I've really been challenged by this this week. And so I want you to really think about how you're spending your time and how you're spending those moments of anxiety solely focused on what others think rather than what God thinks about your life with him. So there are lots of causes of anxiety, right? We've seen the notion of resources. We've seen the notion of retirement. We've seen the notion of reputation. You know, it's interesting. You can make your own list, but it's wild to me that as we look at God's word, this is why I love it because it's so practical. You know, you can see those specific things that 2,000 years ago Jesus knew was an issue, and we're still dealing with them today. And there's nothing that technology or advancements in science or the way that we have better communication has done anything to minimize those sources of anxiety in our life. Um, because in fact, when I think about all of those areas of progress, they've created even more reasons for anxiety, right? Because we know more about what other people have, which might cause us to want more resources. We can keep up to the second a sense of what we're storing up, and we're always reminded of what that looks like. And then certainly as we think about social media and communications, this notion of reputation becomes something that's more glaring than ever. And so thinking about those sources of anxiety, thinking about those causes of anxiety, I think allows us to be able to put a very honest list in front of Jesus about the things where we need his help. But making the list isn't just good enough because it's not only important to identify the causes of anxiety, I think we're really called here to realize that we need to be convicted of anxiety. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If we go to verse 31, it says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The world is anxious. <laughs> the world lives its life in a way that is obsessed with resources, retirement, reputation. And Jesus, in these words, I think, says to us, Hey, as, as my followers, as Christians, I don't want you to live like the pagans do. I don't want you to run after those same things. I don't want you to spend your time being worried about the same things that those people who don't know me, who don't have me, spend their time doing. And so as I read this, I just get this sense that it's not important enough for us to be able to identify our own areas of anxiety and just lift them up to him and say, hey, take care of them, which he will do. But I think that he calls us to have a real deep sense of conviction around the way that we live our lives differently from the pagans around us. How are we living a life of trust? 
How are we living a life of confidence? One that says, Jesus is one of your followers. I know you're going to take care of my needs. I know that you are going to be the one who gives me your applause for my reputation. And so I'm going to rest confidently that as I have an opportunity to interact with others, when they hear about the things that are concerning me or that are bothering me, I can trust in you to be able to take those things and allow me to live differently. So I think a lot about my interactions with my non-Christian friends, and I ask myself when I'm having conversations with them, what are the things that I'm talking about that are going on in my life? You know, am I spending time speaking to them about the additional resources that I want? Am I spending time with them thinking about ways to puff my own reputation? Am I spending time with them thinking about all of the ways that I can show them that I've got the same cares and concerns that they do? I want to be relatable to people, but I want to be different than the person who is beside me that doesn't know Jesus because my confidence does rest in him. My surety does rest in him. And so if we're not convicted by anxiety, I think we find ourselves in a loop again where we can continue to recognize there are things we need to change, that we can recognize the things that we need to work on. But there comes a time where we've got to say, Jesus, I'm convicted enough, I'm concerned enough about this that I want to bring it to you so that you can deal with it, right? So that I can find myself living in a way that's in freed, freedom rather than feeling like I'm anxious all the time. So we get these very clear causes of anxiety that we, I think, can wrestle with and make our own list around. We're called to be convicted. But what's so great about our Heavenly Father is he doesn't just leave it there, right? He gives us a sense of what the cure is. And it's very clear in the next few verses. It says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The plan for dealing with anxiety in our life doesn't have anything to do with getting more resources, storing up more, just putting reputation off. What I see here is that we are given a chance to think about how do we seek him first as a way to change our focus off of ourselves and onto him as our Prince of Peace. And so when he gives us that command, seek first his kingdom, right? Seek first his righteousness. I think that word first really matters. Are we spending our time every day at the beginning of our day going to him? Not just waking up and kind of walking through the list of things that concern us or that are anxious in our lives, but are we going to him and praising him to say, Lord, I seek you. I seek you as our confidence. I seek you as our deliverer. I seek you as the one who will take care of all things. And I seek you and I honor you for that role that you have in my life. And we do that first, seek first. It's the way we start our day. It's the way that we begin anything that we are setting out to do because we recognize that without bringing him into the equation first, it's so easy to fall prey to those things that can just bog us down or can concern us throughout the course of our day. So as I look at these verses, one of the cures is seeking him first. But the other thing that I think that we see is that we have the opportunity not only to seek him, but we have the opportunity to serve him. Some of you have been in my Bible studies before about one of my favorite books of the Bible, Haggai. And Haggai is about the exiles who came back from Babylon and he had encouraged them, he actually commanded them to go ahead and get to work building the temple, rebuilding the temple. And one of the lines that I appreciate most is he convicts the people to say, you've been so worried about building your plastered homes before you've built my temple. 
And that has always been a source of conviction for me that when we're serious about finding ways to live our lives, when we're finding ways to make sure that we are honoring God in what we do, are we spending time first serving ourselves or are we spending time serving him? And this isn't in a legalistic way, right, or something that we need to feel like we're kind of checking off the box because God's going to reward us for doing it immediately. But it's done as an act of praise. It's done as an act of confidence back to him that if we serve him first before we serve ourselves, we show others and we show him our love for him. And so I just want to ask you, as you think about all the things that are on your to-do list, all of the things that are creating anxiety in your life, is there a space up at the top? Is there a space first for how you're serving him? And this can be in the way that we serve a friend in a conversation. This can be the way that we serve our families. This can be the way that we exert ourselves just by being there in a relationship or pointing people to Jesus. But is our focus, is the start of our to-do list geared around what we're doing to serve him? So the cure as we think about dealing with anxiety in our lives is not to just simplify. It's not to just cross things off a list. It's to put the Prince of Peace first. It's to seek him with everything that we do. It's to serve him with everything that we do. And when we do that, we find this sense of realizing that in following him, there is peace. There is a confidence that no matter what's going on externally, no matter what's going on with our finances, no matter what's going on in our reputation, we're resting in his arms and he is taking care of us. And that ability to look to him as we seek him, that ability to just say, no matter what I've got going on, Lord, I'm going to serve you, has in my life at least over the last two years been the best way for me to be able to find myself moving from a place of anxiety to a place of rest and surety. Now, here's the situation. This isn't something that happens one time. For me, at least, I have to go through this process almost every day. I'll wake up in the mornings and I will have that sense of anxiety of things that have to happen. But if I can quickly shift gears to think about how I seek him, to think about how I serve him, that daily process moves me from a place of anxiety to surety. One of the things that I love about these verses that we spent time looking at today is that God promises to be faithful, right? I like to say he doesn't promise that he'll give us filet mignon, but he'll promise us that he'll fill us. He doesn't promise prosperity, right? But he does promise his protection. And he doesn't guarantee that we'll be lauded by the world, but he does guarantee that he will lift us up. And if we can claim to that promise, we can find a place where we watch our anxiety start to shift. We don't see it melt away forever, but we can come to grips with it. We can come to a point where we can understand that when we get that feeling, we just refocus on him, we seek him, we serve him as a way for us to be able to live in a way that allows the others around us to see that we are following the Prince of Peace. Our Prince of Peace.